Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Two Narrows podcast. I'm your host, James, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, Timmy Long. Hi, everyone. John Connors, how's the farm? I'm very good. Yeah. Yeah. Great to have you here in Ballymun Axis Theatre. Yeah. You were telling us a mecca of arts and theatre. 100%. I mean, about 10 years ago, I started like mentoring young artists and rappers and singers and actors. Myself, Damien Dempsey, Maverick Sabre, Terry McMahon and others. And uh, this place blew me away. The amount of working class people coming into one room, creating something specifically to the young men. Mm. And for rap, I mean, if you're looking at one area that's like the most rappers per capita, I'd say it's Ballymun in Ireland. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, just so much creativity comes. And there's an open door in this place. Mm. Mark O'Brien, the former creative director, and now Neve, they're just brilliant. You know what I mean? Whatever anybody wants, you know what I mean? Just walk in, there's an open door. It's brilliant. And Ballymun needed this, you know? Why do you think it's such a creative space? I think one by having people like that, like, I mean, Mark O'Brien, who's, again, he's now went on to be in the Abbey, uh, literally the reach out stuff you know what I mean like really reaching out to the community and not just trying to take boxes and get funding yeah. uh, really making an actual effort actually caring that makes the someone at the top actually caring and Neve now who took it over who's taken over name is the same they're there for the right fucking reasons they're not a tyrannical leader yeah. who's just trying to take boxes and get funding yeah. so that's the difference I think and then you open the door to a state of the art place like this uh, and yeah. all the technology they have and everything it's it's yeah. the best. Any time we're looking for a space to come up here, the door is always open. And reasonable yeah. prices and everything like that, like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If even a price, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, do you know what I mean? You know, yeah, yeah for exactly. Different. Well, it's same with me. You get me a load of freebies with things like yeah. that. What I wanted yeah. to do if it was something that is good and nutritional yeah. for the community. You know but what you I mean? Love, you love us kind of return the favour. Yeah. But listen, John, this is our second time around. Yeah. The first time we done it below in the studio in Cork and, you know, and I, we were chatting about it beforehand and it was one of the most powerful podcasts we had and this will probably outdo it here. Yeah. Had technical yeah. issues on the night. Yeah. You know? Quote. Yeah, no, I remember it. Like I, I told my friend Teddy, there was the best podcast I yeah. ever did. And uh, if it was an average podcast, I probably would have walked about raids and gone, fuck the lads, <laughs> even though it wasn't your fault. Yeah. But because it was so great of a conversation, I went, I, f- I felt great. Yeah. Right, the was, waves need that day. Anyway, like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I knew we'd do it again. You yeah. know what I mean? So and here we are, Ballymun, near my old like. Yeah, so yeah. we were delighted to have you on because, uh, you know, when you're commenting on our stuff and sharing our stuff, it doesn't go unnoticed. You mm. know what I mean? So we yeah. were delighted to have you on. So it's great to be here. Mm. But we're going to bring it right back. Just tell us, you said you're not far from here. Where are you from? What was it like growing up for yourself? I'm from, well, I'm born and I was born in London. Yeah. And uh, 
this is obviously stuff we went through before we go I'll act like we haven't <laughs> but, but I was born in London and the reason why I was born in London uh, a fact that my brothers will never let me forget uh, is because my father uh, who was a schizophrenic he hijacked a taxi one day and um, he went straight into the wall and broke his hip and he got put on arm guard um, in the hospital and my mother had been engaged them for like two three years at that time big long engagements for travellers mm. about to get married and uh, she visited him in hospital and decided to escape him out the window and uh, they went on a ferry to England and met up with <laughs> met, met up with me mother's sister and she was married to Purcell over there and all the family and he met up with his McCarthy uh, cousins and that and uh, so they went over there and they were there for a couple of years and then I came along um, and I was born in King's Cross in London and before it was one I came back uh, but that's the mad thing. That was one of the things that shaped me. Like, uh, like uh, we can joke about it, but I always felt less than Irish. It was a weird yeah. one because my two brothers were born in Dublin, yeah. and we had like this leg about it. Oh, you, sure, lads! I <laughs> I won the Four Nation gold medal for Ireland, beat an Englishman in the final, who said he was going to knock me out. You paddy cunt, right? And I showed the lads, and I broke his ribs. And I showed the lads the tape of it, my two brothers, and he says, "You should be fighting for Britain, you bastard." <laughs> so, like, you never win with the cunts. Yeah. But I'm glad it happened because it shaped me and shaped my whole worldview, yeah. and it no. made me really interested in yeah. Irish history and Irish culture. And I became fucking more Irish than them in that way. You know what I mean? And I wasn't alone because I had like 52 first cousins that grew up in in, in the camp when yeah. we came back to Kulak. So 52 first cousins, then probably 20, 30 second cousins, and 12 aunts and uncles, grandparents, friends of the family, all in like basically a reservation. Yeah. And so with like 20 of us at least were born in England and we'd be the English bastards. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what, today, yeah. ye 20 yeah. have English passports yeah. today and no. they're invaluable. I don't, I don't. I don't. No, yeah. I couldn't do it, man. But they're there and you ever went to them. Yeah, they're there if you need they're good for certain kinds of it's yeah. worst passport in general in the world to have because they're an imperialistic bastards and not the people but just the elites yeah. uh, like all the other European elites but for certain yeah. getting into certain countries as well and the commonwealth and all that stuff but no I'd, I'd never get away I couldn't yeah. live it up lads if I got a British passport but what was it What was it like do you know going back to the, the, the days when you can actually remember growing up inside the, the site with the lads and mm. the cousins and stuff how was it with your mum and dad and everything else it was it was fucking brilliant to be yeah. honest with you. I'm fucking I'm I'm over the moon that I had that I was that last generation. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Before social media, before everything, yeah. and for you know lots of things changed for travellers. But I had a father who was a great father. Like he was schizophrenic, but he was like uh, kind of eccentric and like unbelievably smart. His nickname was the the professor, and in ways he was kind of an outsider w among the traveller men because he just taught outside the box about everything. You know. And he had me, like I met, recently met me, uh, me play school teacher, uh, Miss Moore. And she called me over, I hadn't seen her in like 30 years. And I was like, man, like 25 years, whatever, whatever it is. And she said, come over, come over. I was telling me, who's something about you? You and your brother Joe, you were the f so freaky because you could read before you could walk. Because <laughs> my father taught us how to read yeah, yeah. before we could fucking walk. Literally, we were reading newspapers. So like it was like mad. He was like mad like that, and he'd always teach you things like you know, always ask questions, never just take something critical. Think, yeah, always think outside the box and go. Why are you saying that? You know, and uh, always stand up for what you believe in. Always, you can fight to the death for that. 
So that them kind of things, like it's mad. The, the, those sort of echoes never left me, mm-hmm. all like throughout my life. And sometimes I took it really literal, and sometimes more sometimes symbolically. Get you in trouble, but I did. It got me in trouble as well. Like, like even the never back down from the fight. Yeah, yeah. that was a hard one, yeah. <laughs> especially when you grew up where I grew up, and you're in the middle of Darndale and Coolock, and you're surrounded by traveller sites one side, Darndale the other side. And you have to fight the whole way to school. Yeah. But you have to be tough. Yeah, it's, you have, have to be tough. To be, you yeah. have to be tough to be able 100%. to do it in the mirror. You have to be. It's as simple as you grew up in a similar area. Yeah. But for us, we had a kind of unique thing in that because uh, it's a, it's an awful truth, but it's the truth. When you grow up without a father as a traveller, there's an extra edge to that. You're seen as uh, victims to to other travellers and like because everything is about who's the father and could I get away with doing something if 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 he's this or that or the other but if you have no father it's free reign to do what you want there's no comeback there's like. no comeback so me and my brother Joe got a lot of bullying like from kids their own age but older that was the ones you, you'd be more worried about and then emotional the emotional stuff and yeah. and, and the kind of the, the, the belittling and denigrating like so we would have been looked at by some of the older men in the camp of like oh, I'd never let my daughter marry one of them and you'd hear things like that because you don't know how to make a living They're, they'll never be real men because like, they have no father so that stuff was worse than the, getting you know, the shit the kicked out of you way when you were younger yeah, so like at eight, like my father tried to commit suicide. Look, I can't get the word out, commit. I was still saying it, like, it, like it's a crime, but yeah. Yeah, it's just a, a church thing. It's a it? weird thing. It's a weird thing and I still, every time I say it without thinking, that's the way it comes out. But This is sin in the eyes of the church. Yeah, you, and it's a crime. Commit, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Uh, you know, growing up, if, for me, even the word suicide, you know, I, you know, the, the way adults talk about suicide, and this is years ago, no, I don't know, can you relate or not? But, you know, People would always say um, suicide was the easy way out, the cowardly way out. You know, people didn't understand it back then. They didn't. You know, my own mother took her own life. My mother's partner Sorry took her own one. life. I, I've plenty of family members. But because of my own mental health years later and, and the stuff that I went through and the, the thoughts of taking my own life and coming close a few times and... and you know, I understand now, like, it's it's not about anything else. It's just, it's pain. It's pain that human beings are not made to be able to take, you know. And that's why people, it's not a way out. It's just people just, just break they get to a place and they just can't take it. No, it's a threshold. It's not. They reach a threshold. It, years ago, we used to call it different things or whatever, you know. But it's it's not like that at all. It's just, it's, it's something that just happens and nobody will know why it happens but some it just happens and, and there's not there's no real answer to it it's just it's pain and, it's and, pain yeah and that's it I think uh, people have said that are silly because it takes some fucking balls to kill yourself balls like fucking gorilla balls to kill yourself because I came close a few times and I backed out yeah. uh, one being afraid to me mother what would happen to me mother like yeah. if I you know I listened to me mother cry for years through the wall in the trailer after me father died through suicide and imagine me doing that where like she's dead basically straight away mm-hmm. if I do have me brothers what it made me out brothers yeah. the closest brothers in the world uh, my father tried it a lot of times I caught him one time and then he uh, he went into a mental hospital like we used to we used to go and visit him in a mental hospital yeah. and we thought it was a dojo and he was learning martial arts <laughs> and everybody went along with us 
You know what I mean? So we'd go in and we'd sign out. And I, I'll never forget, we did this mad journey. We'd get the, 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 the bus from Kulak into the, the town. Then we get the train from town out to Balbriggan. And we'd walk from Bal, near enough Balbriggan, Dunabate. Then we'd walk from Dunabate down to Port Ran. And then we went to the mental hospital and we were going to meet my daddy who was like nearly gets a black belt now. Mm. And this is like for years, like, you know, you never got the fucking black belt. But uh, but the staff would go along with him and he'd play along fair play to him, you know what I mean? We didn't know it was a time, like obviously, you know, but uh, we're walking down and I remember, remember one day we walked down, walking down and the staff was bringing us down and my mommy's there. And uh, we get excited. He was in because he still had the the bars, you know, the bars he had in the, in the cells yeah. and the padded cell with bars. Yeah. That's what he was in. Well, but he was in all this white clothing, so it was like a craddy. Yeah, you know what I mean? So, but he'd know we're coming, so he'd be there in like a yoga position, like that, nice clothes, right? Oh, and then he'd go, John and Joe, and we go, How do you know? You know, this is, you know, how do you know it's us? And then he'd jump up, ah, and do all the moves. And uh, then we go out the back and play out the back like so. We were like, "When are you getting your black belt?" And then even I remember now, I remember there was an old Chinese vein in there, and he he just bowed to the Chinese vein like he's the <laughs> like, yeah, like he's the fucking sensei. And we were like, "There's a sensei, this is Miyagi guy." We be weak like, but we'd understand why he has to stay there to get the belt. So, uh, but then him and mommy would have that tug of war, and obviously, obviously, like you know, she knew you know it's very taxing on her and us. And then he'd go back and he'd be grand for a while and then but then he just turned like like he'd just turn into a different human being. Like he thought he was different people. Like I remember he'd there was a an IRA man by the name of Dominic McClinchy. Do you remember him? Yeah. IRA man up the north, blew loads of people up. He, he thought it was him. Like and he'd do All right, lads, come over here and yeah. And all and yeah. the, another day he'd be Terminator. Like literally oh, yeah. he'd be like think he was Terminator. What was it? Split personality disorder? Yeah, I think there was multiple I don't think he was fully diagnosed one that was schizophrenia and yeah. oftentimes there's multiple. You know yeah. what I mean? Because they're closely related. It's like you're going to one or the other. Yeah. So um, he would do a lot of that and we'd, we'd, we'd be like, it'd be funny sometimes and sometimes it'd be very very yeah. fucking scary like and my mother would be terrified, you know. So he he ended up going back out of the mental hospital after I found him trying to uh, overdose with pills and then we moved back into the camp finally. We left the flat. Mommy said we have to bring it back to my people into the camp and, and uh, so one day I was out in the backfield and I heard him call me and he said, John, oh, John, come here to me, son, come here to me, son. And I was going, Daddy, where are you? And it was, this went on for about 10 minutes. And I went into my mother and I said, Mommy, I said, Daddy's out the backfield. And she's like, no, he's not in the mental hospital, you know what I mean? What she didn't know was he actually escaped out of it, got out of it or one way or another. And an hour later, the guards came in and we were in their dinner and the guards came in and told us that he, he was found um, in, a, in a lake, drowned. The lake of his secondary school that he went to that he used to bring us to play in the woods. So he kind of threw himself in the river. He couldn't, he couldn't, um, couldn't swim. So that kind of that that's the big change in my life when that happened. That left you vulnerable then. Yeah, it left like, us vulnerable to kind of people who just yeah looked down upon us and all that. So, but did make us tough. But like it, it, it made me repress so much, and I hated him then. Like I hated him. Like once we started getting bullied, I hated him, and I loved my father more than anything. Yeah. Like. But I went fuck him like mm. he left fucking left us like and I, you, had some, at, you had to blame someone for your pain I had pain. to blame somebody and looking at my mother and going she has to do it all alone like it's not fair like and my mother uh, I love there's no one I love more in the world than my mother times 10 no one else uh, compared to her like but what she went through so so it was rough and we had a few years and I was getting bullied left and centre like black eyes every day uh, mm. to and from school and then fighting set lads in school and then Getting segregated, putting an all traveller class, even though me, 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 brother Joe were academically very bright. 
until we told my mother about it then and she went over and kicked the fuss up and we went back into the general population. Mm-hmm. Uh, there used to be an all-traveller class in the primary school then. Yeah, there was, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was an all-traveller class and then there was another class um, that you had just all the fellas that were messers or just yeah. couldn't sit in the normal class. A lot of them fellas later on would have came out like they would have had some, some, something wrong with them, you know, ADHD, yeah. dyslexia, but it wasn't diagnosed back then. But you had a traveller class, you had a master's class and you had your three or four normal classes then. Yeah. Well, we used to, we, we went into the class the first time. I never forget the teacher, Mr. Holbein. He gives us uh, crayons. And I said, crayons? Well, what are we doing with crayons? Like, I mean, Joe was reading newspapers at two years of age, three years of age. Like, he gives a crayon. I said, can we get another book we can read or one? He said, oh, you can read. It, like, it reminds me of that scene in Life. Did you ever see Life with Martin Lawrence and yeah, Eddie Murphy? But he go in and get the pie. And he says, hey, Roger, could I get some of that pie? How do you know my name? You can read? You know, this level of ignorance. And he's, he gave us Huggy Bear. And I said, oh. Mr. Hoban, I was reading this in second class. See, because what was common practice was you do second class with, uh, you'd stay up there with the general population up in the second class, you do your communion, and then the third, then they'd put you in an all travel class. This is the pattern I've seen all around Ireland. Like. Um, so he was like shocked, oh, you can read on. We were reading it. He was like, oh, really good. Look, read whatever you want over there, blah, blah. And it was like, no, no guidance yeah. and a free for all. Like, and it was just, you know what it was, lads? It was so embarrassing mm-hmm. because me, we had all our friends, like in our class, like other kids and whatever. And yeah, we got called a pikey or knacker by one or two of them, but most of them, like, still to this day are my friends. Yeah. Like, we went to school from four years of age together and we're still friends to this day from Darren, they like cool, like, and Prizer yeah. and Clunch Shock. So, when we all of a sudden got put in that class, me and Joe, we were fucking so ashamed. Like, yeah. and the lads were going, "Why are you all together there?" Because like you're putting him in uh, travels of all ages, from just thirty six of all ages, generally put in there. So, so I got, I got, a lot, I got fucking very angry with it. Like, yeah, yeah. Talks a lot. This is still going on, like yeah, well, varying degrees. I know, I know, it's still going on now. Even with they're reduced trying to timetables. Yeah, reduce timetables, and all. It's another way of doing it. But even. Even travellers are still properly segregated two years ago in some places in Wicklow, I heard. Uh, it didn't stop. Like, and I'm only 33, lads. Like, I'm not talking about Alabama in I the know. 50s and I'm being black. Like, I'm a traveller who grew up in the 90s. 90s, exactly. You know, we're right up to the, right to the early 2000s, so. We had a podcast there for last year with Patrick McCann. Do you know Patrick? Yeah, I do know Patrick, actually. Yeah, Patrick's from Finglas. Yeah, he yeah. came over from Manchester, mm. two different sides, Dunsinkley and Kulak, mm. I think. Yeah, he would have been, yeah. He said that it was lucky he was able to fight because he was able to protect himself and his family because he was into the boxing. Mm. Did you go into the boxing? Did that help you kind of yeah. stand up? And so normally, like, you know, the mad thing about travellers, one of the great things is the, is the boxing culture because, like, Ireland ha- has been consistently in the top 10 boxing countries in the world for the last 20 years. Every other country in the world has at least, that it, it, that's in that top 10, has at least 10 times our population. Mm. So that proves the fight in Irish thing. Yeah. yeah. Now... Travellers make up 0.6% of the population of Ireland and they make up sometimes up to 50% of the champions. Mm-hmm. So that's like fucking mad. Yeah. And that's the culture. Yeah. But the thing is, the culture is getting driven by the men and the fathers. But I didn't have a father, so I didn't get put in boxing. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? But I was looking around when you were all going into boxing and I'm getting the head punched off me every day. And I'm going to have to go to boxing. I think I actually remember watching Rocky one time. And I said, that's it. Yeah. That's Rocky, you know what I mean? Yeah. Me and my brother Joe watch Rocky every single day. Rocky 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, every day. We watched Rocky 3. We watched it so many times, we said, we'll start counting how many times we watched this. So we watched it every day for a year, Rocky 3. Yeah. Just put it on every day, you know? But uh, So I went, I went to the boxing club and I said, fuck it. I went with two of my old friends that I grew up with, old Patrick Gavin and Terence Gavin, I think it was. And we went up and um, 
and they told us uh, Joe Russell, who was a real old school Sheriff Street inner city. Remember Mickey from Rocky? Yeah. On steroids. <laughs> and like PC anti PC, oh my God. Uh, but he said uh, he said when we walked in, This is your first night and your last night. You can get your jackets and fuck off out of here. And I said, okay, geez, listen to him and Aiden, right? So we go out for the jog and I'm kind of a half chubby fella at the time and trying my best to keep up a jog, but I'm putting a lot of effort in. I go back to the club and I'm hitting the pads and uh, he's seen something in me and he said, you can come back Wednesday. So I went back and we hadn't, it's mad because success breeds success. Yeah. Arndale had a great uh, history of boxing, but he hadn't won an All-Ireland title in probably five years. So I went into it and within six months I won the league title, the Dublin title, the Leinster title, the All-Ireland title. Within six months, and then we start getting all all Ireland champions, and like the amount of travellers in that club, like we ended up being the best club in Dublin for ten years in a row, Leinster seven years in a row, uh, three times best club in Ireland, and uh, I was a part of that. And did you stay there for? I did, yeah. Well, you, you, you like you come across as a really intelligent man, John, as well, and I think boxing is not just about all brawn. Oh, and boxing is a lot of intelligence. Big time. Boxing is problem solving. Yeah. Like my my small lad, Jay, since the last time we were chatting, he, he joined boxing and um, he's a smart kid. And I see how fast he's after taking up the mm -hmm. boxing. Oh, he was in an all Ireland there for a few months ago. He got robbed. <laughs> so I just, it happens though. He got robbed. Happened to me. But anyhow, we, we won't be bad about it. Um, but I seen that he was a smart kid, but he also had... He had it about him, like, and he was good, you know. Yeah. And he's 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 doing really well. Yeah. Did you know? Did, were you that? Were you really? Were you listening to your your coach? Were you smart about the boxing? Did you pick? Yeah, absolutely. But I was also my own worst enemy too, because had so much rage in me. Like, like the best performance I ever gave in the ring was actually a show fight. It wasn't even an important fight, and I did all Ireland's one day, all that four nations. <clears throat> the best was one day I was fighting a fella, and he was too weight. Uh, weight categories ahead of me in a show fight in Crumlin and he was also a four time Irish boxing champion and my trainer Joe said to me Joe Lawler one of my trainers um, he was an Olympian he said John do you know just for the crack will you do me a favour please I said what Joe he said for the first time ever will you just use your brain in mm -hmm. the fight you know because I just wanted to go forward and aggressive now with a good job that saved me from getting sloppy he said just use your brain he said you know what go on the back foot and fight him on the back foot and I gave your man that bad of a baiting that they called the, the first round after a minute, the second round after 40 seconds, and the third round after 30 seconds, because it was crumbling, they were cheating bastards, because I would have stopped the cunt. But I gave an absolute, and me, and me friend, this is a brag to say, but my old friend Fraggle, and my cousin, he said, Johnny, you're like Sugar Ray Robinson. Because <laughs> you've never seen that side of me, you know, but I'd show it in time to time in sparring. Yeah. And I was like, Jesus, I should have done my whole fucking career like that. Yeah. And then I ended up having the big fight against a shade, I thought, it was from Wicklow and it was in the semi-final of the Intermediate All-Ireland. I was like one of the youngest people in the whole competition. I was 17, so it's, it's the youngest you can be to get into it. But most 17-year-olds don't go in it mm. unless they're cleaning up in the, in the underage. Mm. And, uh, and I looked across the ring and I saw the size of the thing, right? <laughs> and I was, it was 91 kilos, but I was only weighing in 88 kilos, you know what I mean? And he would have been coming from probably 100 and he was 30 years of age. I said, I'm done with this all right? So I just used the jab and I only threw one right hand in the whole fight and I bet him 19-1 just with jabbing, jabbing. Yeah. And the very last punch I hit him was a right hand. I never even threw the right hand. <laughs> so I've had to listen more, you know, that kind of way. But uh, It's a great sport. It's it? a great fucking sport. It's great for children, yeah. you know. Like my trainers, to me, they're fucking humanitarians. Mm -hmm. Like they never got paid for doing this. Like all boxing trainers and amateur clubs, they're saving kids from the streets. Like I don't, I couldn't even estimate how many 
How many children? He, he saved Joe Russell, Joe Lawler, Jerry Hanlon in Darndale, in Darndale as well, in the middle of the heroin. He started that in 1975 and he's still doing it. He's still the trainer. Never got a penny his whole life. Yeah. And Joe Lawler and Joe, Jerry and Hanlon. terribly underfunded as well, the boxing clubs. Yeah. They're not funded at all. Yeah. They don't get funded yeah. at all, my club, my club Darndale. I'd still call it my club because it'll always be yeah. for me, like, uh, because it was a place, there, place where you could fucking, you could find guitarists. Do you know what I mean? Like, and they would, and they would, they were coaches in life, and they would teach you things. And they stopped me from going down. Like, I, I got in some mad shit in my teens in Darnell, and I ain't gonna lie about it. And violence and lots of mad stuff. And my skills that I had was seen as a strength on the street. Put it that way yeah, by people, yeah, yeah. you know. Uh, but it would have went way worse only for them because they were constantly pulling me back into the ring. Do you know what I mean? Like, and they were like, it save, save your life. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. The old boxing is a great sport. So, John, just go back a small bit, right? Say maybe from your your early teens. Mm. What were what were what were things at this stage in your life? You know, your dad was dead. You were doing a bit of boxing. Mm. How were you getting on? Once I found boxing, um, I got confidence because I had really low self esteem. Uh, so I started getting really fucking confident like, and I lost a lot of weight and I got in really good shape and uh, I didn't realise I was a fucking natural athlete so I was mm-hmm. just an, I won fucking all those titles in boxing I won things in football I, I won five gold medals in one year, one year in, in, um, in um, athletics all different five gold medals and a silver which pissed me off because I was that fucking aggressive of a competitor like yeah. So just once I hit 12, I kind of went, you know, puberty just treated me well. It was like fucking big doses of the testosterone, I'd say. But I, I, I just was, I had an unquenchable appetite for winning, like obsessively. And I got unbelievably disciplined, like, and like, we had a camp gym, we built a camp gym. Well, actually, I won't say we built it. The lads built it while I was boxing in the Four Nation, my cousins and my brothers. <laughs> and they built it for all of us. And we'd like, we train... Lads, we'd just, we'd just decide, we'd be up at two o'clock in the morning, we just decide, right, let's do a three-hour training session yeah. in the camp gym and put on fucking the Rocky soundtrack. Yeah. Like, we genuinely do that. Like, you'd go, right, let's do a jog, let's see how fa- how fucking fast we can do 5K. Yeah. I think we did it in 15 minutes one time or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, 15, 16 minutes, we were just lunatics. Then you go to boxing, six days a week we were training in the boxing club. Yeah. We are training outside of it, so it was just obsessive. Like obsessive, and sixteen, I'd say, was about the age where that obsession started started to stop. And women, and yeah, you know, I discovered women before that, but yeah. but in sixteen, I was hitting me peak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever went back there. But uh, then you're starting to drink, and you're hanging around Darndale, and you're going to swords to this bureau, and you're yeah. you're over there, and you're eating kebabs, and but you're getting away with it because you're sixteen. Yeah, do you know what I mean? But then when you hit fucking eighteen, it's different. Yeah. And then I went into a fight. Ah, oh, fuck me! It nearly killed me. Fought my last fight and uh, first of all that intermediate I was telling you about I went to the final of that and I fought another fellow Willie Byrne who was like 27 or 8 at the time and, and he beat me in the final by f- only a few points only a couple of points and I had a bad flu going into it as well very bad flu and my trainer wanted to pull me out of it I said never um, went into that and then I went next year doing the under 19s and a fiend bet me that should have never bet me and that's what disgusted me but I trained just for six weeks after not trained for about six months at tennis elbow and thought I'm just going to steamroll him yeah. and it's when my 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 confidence went to arrogance total arrogance and I walked in as a red hot favourite like, and I, I went in in the semi-final and knocked I fell out in probably 30, 20 seconds like rendered him unconscious and I said I'm going to do the same to this fiend and he went in and he boxed the brains out of me. Buster Douglas yeah. moment, didn't it? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. He boxed the brains out of me. And he went in thinking he was going to lose. Because we fought in the Irish team together. Yeah. 
and I was used to kill him in sparring. Like he couldn't even spar me. And he went in and I got what I deserved, which was a nice little nasty boxing lesson. And I just was reaching and going, what the fuck? My time and everything was gone. Yeah. And then I went, right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get back to it now. I'm going to do it normal, blah, blah, blah. And I got involved in street stuff and then bare knuckle fighting, you know. Uh, that's gotten away and breaking hands off that and doing all that shit. I don't regret that, to be honest with you, because the fellas at Beth were the bullies. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? The fellas that bullied me as a child, basically. Did, that, did any of those bare knuckle fights get out of hand where they weren't just left the way supposed to be? Funny enough, they all resolved the issue, but there were big things beforehand. Not all of them, but the, the first one, we were feuding for years. Like, I, lads, I, I was in a feud at 13 years of age. You know, I was told, I'm not going to say by who, but I was told to win and grab. You know, they hid, someone hid a shotgun in uh, my mother's trailer. I was told to go in and get it. And I was 13, and we were we were surrounded by ERU, the emergency response unit, the whole side was. And uh, I went in to get it, and, and they told me there was no bullets in the gun. And uh, and I was a big John Wayne fan. I love John Wayne and Clint Eastwood and all, like, obsessively, like. So I was like, I how? You see the movie in yeah, Vince Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I was holding the gun, and I was just holding, I was inside the trailer, I grabbed the gun in the back room, and I put the gun up against the, just up against the wall like that, you know what I mean? I was just prepping, and I went, ah, oh, sure, there's no bullets, right? And I went, bang! Big hole in the trailer. Shades came down. Shades were terrified. Me mommy and all, and all my aunts came around, ah, me child! Ah! And they managed to convince the shades that it was the other family were feuding with that shot over the wall and blew the hole in the trailer. But it was like a hole, like because they shot it up close with a big shotgun. Mm. And I went over, I got over to my grandmother and darn that little Margaretha McCarthy, married Connors, obviously. She, uh, she came on, she was real soft. Come in, son, come in, hugging me and kissing me. And I said, over there for the week, it was ready my life. But then I was back into the feud, like back into. January 13, that stage. 13, yeah, I was back into the feud, back into like going toe to toe, fans out in the streets. 14, at 14 I was going to throw with like adults in the street and bait them yeah. and weapons like uh, monkey so, rinses, you know. You're involved in that. Are you walking around confident with a swagger or are you walking around full of fear looking over your shoulder? Uh, walking around terrified, acting confident. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely that's, terrified. That's perfect answer, dear. Absolutely terrified. Uh, like, and the same with the ring, like when I, yeah. when, I <laughs> when I used to be, when I used to be in the dressing room to go in to find the ring, right? The lads all in the club used to say, Jesus, like, Tono, you're like, as, you're as cold as I should get more nervous. And it was only because my training was the bullying yeah. that concealed the fear. I was acting. Yeah. That was my first acting. I acted like I was fearless. Mm. I was a brilliant actor, but I was terrified. And when I was in them dressing rooms about to go out in the fight spots, I was saying to myself, what are you doing to yourself? Mm. Why are you putting yourself through the stress? You're going to be killed now in front of everybody. Like, you're going to be a meta show of like, what, just quit boxing. Every time I fought, I was telling myself, you need to quit boxing. It's too stressful, like. Yeah. And it was even worse out in the street because it could go way worse. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and bad things happened, like. You know what I mean? So, and then all those fellas, it ended up getting really fucking nasty and we had to move, like. And then we moved up to another area. And then they actually, this family, they, they found me in the, I was walking down Darndale Road one time and I was four, 13, June 2003, and they chased after me in a van and they all jumped out but I was so fast by that point. Like I was the same height I am now at 13 but so fucking fast and I ran like fucking Forrest Gump boys and I ran back to the camp, right? But when I got back to the camp, my face was all drooped. I got fucking Bell's palsy. Do you know from the fright? Oh, 
fuck. Yeah, man. got Bell's palsy from the Friday. I ended up getting it twice more in my life. One more for another stressful incident as well in my late teens and then later on for something else. But uh, so there was all that. There was a lot of, there was, I saw a lot, a lot of violence. A lot of violence. I was involved in a lot of violence. I got a nice few pains myself. Um, you break the cycle of violence. Fuck me, man. I don't know if I, I don't know if I've broken it yet, to be honest. Because it's time, it, don't it? Yeah, because... It, it, do you know what? That law was be with yeah. as well to yeah. react in, in the appropriate way if, yeah. you're, if, if, if you're being maybe challenged. Yes, yeah. let's say Exactly. That. So if someone comes up to you with a fucking hatchet or, or whatever, like, you're not going to lie down on the floor and no. start crying. No. You know, well, because you have it already. You, you have, you like, you have there's do. a certain moral code I'll always carry anyway. Yeah. I'll always have, uh, and that comes from the bullying, that comes from no one's going to denigrate me. And there's certain things that I will, I will just access the psychopath in me and go, I'm willing to die in this moment. Mm. I'm willing to die if I have to. And that's if you harm anybody belonging to me. And you notice this pattern with anybody who's been harmed or been bullied. When you touch people they love, they're even more enraged because it's like, hang on, I took enough. You won't be doing nothing to anybody belonging to me. Mm. And like I was even with my niece, my nephew was there last night and this morning teaching boxing. And they're catching on really good, like they're fucking, they're deadly, you know. And even the thought of someone bullying, because I'm looking at them and they're, I remember me and my brother Joe was that age and the bullying we were getting, and if someone bullied them, boys. Yeah. Because you're I'd bringing Hanna, yourself I'd back. I turned it to Hannibal Lecter. But yeah. you're, bringing your, yeah. you're bringing yourself back to your yeah. own pain and you don't exactly. want to feel that. And, go, and look at how beautiful they are now, yeah. how pure they are, and some yeah. vulnerable they are. Uh, you know, especially one of them, like, he's real quiet, like, real introverted, and the other fellow's real extroverted, you know. And I'm going, God help us, lads. There's someone tried to put hands on him, like, poor child, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You think how fucking, how many fucking maniacs there's out there, boys? Do you, know, do, do you know that kind of stuff there that went down as a, a child? Mm. A lot of fear in that stuff, John. Oh, you know, you that. How do you deal with, with, with that stuff today? Do you understand it? Oh, I totally. I've analysed myself inside and out, and I have the benefit of having fucking one of the most qualified mental health experts in Ireland as me fucking want to be best friends, like. Yeah. So um, I've analysed a lot of that, and I know, I know how. I react to things of where it comes from. And that's why I have an internal dialogue all the time and how I communicate to people. And don't be projecting upon, onto people. And don't be just going, that's what they meant, you know, that overthinking, that kind of metacognition. I kind of have to stop myself all the time. And the fear, the fear never goes away, boys, you know. Oh, and no. the fear, and it's, and it's like, it manifested in other shit on, like, you know, would be controversies online and whatever. And it's a very nuanced conversation to have, but people would never understand it. But like, you know, at times where I, I did stupid things myself, but people come after me and it's like, I can't back down. Mm. I can't back down. Like, yeah. I feel like I'm getting bullied again. Yeah. And I, I'd rather die than get bullied or face it because it's like this, the fear in itself is fucking crippling. Mm. So I have to face the fear straight on because mm. it's so fucking crippling because it's like, that's the worst place to be in the corner just going over oh, the whole world. Mm. So then I go, ah, just attack. The best, the best offense. Yeah. Your best defense is a good offense. And you're allowing yourself not to be a victim anymore. Like yeah, you're not going to leave these people. That's it. I'll refuse yeah. to be a victim. And my thing's even like, like I, I've said, you know, me and my cousins and all that, and we've evolved in match hitting whatever, bearing the fights and even like, but even just brawls, like brawls. You know, like I did a brawl one time at a wedding, and a cousin of mine was getting attacked by these fellows who were bowel fiends and whatever. We grabbed and we were outnumbered. It was only me and my cousin and uh, and my brother. Joe and so we grabbed them and just brought them out to the front but then they came out and there was like 20 of them and there was no running and my cousin fainted on the ground because he was wake as water after being pulled and dragged and I just turned to the boys and said we just have to stand now that's it and I said whatever happens happens 
that's it. You have to just, just use the psychotic part. So I went over to one of them and uh, got him a nice lucky punch and knocked him out straight away. And then I had five, six, seven fellas on me at one time. They did it to me, other two, my brother and my cousin as well, and both of them got put in the ground and smashed up. Uh, but my brother Joe gave a really good goal, especially like, but they couldn't take me down. Do you remember Jake Lamont? He can't put take me down. <laughs> like, I just refused to go down. I said, boys, there's nothing that's going to get me down. And they're roaring at me and they're Budweiser bottles in my head and all this stuff. And they wouldn't get me down. And I, I when I mean I put power, I mean I, I would ever punch from the ground. Mm. That's the shots I was giving these veins. And I was like, I was hurting. Like two or three of them went on the ambulance very badly hurt. Just a rage that comes mm. over you and you can't feel pain. Mm. It's like the whole thing. Black. Yeah, you, black. Can't, uh, you can't feel pain. Yeah, and then back in the hotel room later on that night, oh, wake his water. Do you know, black guys, everything. <laughs> you pain in the head, but someone give me an aspirin, lads. Do you, do you know, for people that are listening to this, yeah. they wouldn't understand what we're, even, mm. do you know, they wouldn't understand it. You, you really have to grow up in, in a really tough environment mm. to be able to understand that when enough of bad things happen to you, you hit a spot in life where you have to make a decision for yourself mm. that is never going to happen again mm. and from that moment then nobody will ever hurt you in that physical yeah. or mental way again and that's what happens it's built remember we were saying that's built into you yeah. you can be aware about it but it's always there and you said that if someone harmed one of your family in the morning like that's there yeah. and it's there to protect them and it's just to kind of give it into a little bit of context to people no. that don't understand it it's not that I am a bad person, no. you're a bad person or anybody else that wants to, it's just in, in in the areas we grew up in, that's how we had to mind ourselves. We were never bad people, it was just things happened and we had to do these things to be able to survive in the communities mm. that we grew up in. Well, it's, a, it it's a sad, mad and bad thing. That's it. There's very rarely a bad person. No. They're usually sad or they're mad. Or they're hurt, even. You know what I mean? And that was me. And yeah. it still is me. And that's why that's that code will always will never be broken. You harm anybody belonging to me, I'm willing to do life in jail. Outside of that, I can keep it calm. I mediate. I, I go from family to family and stop them arguing. I do that now today. Me, me and my brothers do that. We're kind of the go-to where we're from. How does that work, John? Maybe so, a mediation between... So, like, we've often had it even with groups of cousins, right, who are both fucking the same to us, you know? So, what would happen is... My brother Joe would go to one of them and it's just, you have to go and listen, listen to all the stuff. Mm. You have to never report any of the bad stuff. Mm. You have to play a blinder basically. And you have to, to kind of hint that the other side one piece, but you can't say it out direct because it'll, it'll become a slagging thing. Yeah. And then I go to the other and I'm doing the same thing. And they're telling you, I want to kill them and I'm going to, and they're getting this and I'm getting a shot and I got it all. And I go, yeah, yeah, 100%. But listen, I know you don't want the trouble. Like, boys, and listen, we let it go. I'm like, I'm never letting it go. And you know, you have to do that for the whole day. Mm. The whole day. Because there's always one hothead in the family. And then oftentimes, even you get the deal and then one hothead, and then they go into it. And that happened before, actually, when I was doing it, mediating between two, two different groups, me and my brother, Joe, and, uh, we had the deal. Finally, after about seven, eight hours of going back and forth, and we're sick of our bollocks at this time. Like, and then the two blackguards on each side rode each other. So I said, "Right, get the fuck in that car now." And the two of them are cowards. I said, "Get the fuck in that car now." I said, "You're going to fight now." I said, "You're the one starting all this." So we got them in the car, and the two, the two of them went at each other. The worst boxers ever seen in my life. But it was a great fight because they didn't know how to fight. Yeah. So when one would hit, the other one would go to the ground. I was like, "This is a great fight." And the referee with me, the fair play man, said to me, "He said, John, uh, listen, call a draw now because the first, it was the first thing you do is ask for a draw." 
because the best way is always a draw. Mm. But I said, nah, 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 there's no draws. I said, these have to punch each other's faces in and then I'll ask for a draw. Do you know what I mean? So I let them matter for about six, seven minutes. Now, six, seven minutes when you're not a boxer, and you're and it's and there's four swinging knockdowns swinging from helicopters and windmills, <laughs> right? <laughs> then yeah, I went in, mind. and then I went in when they're awake as well. Then I went in. I said, boys, why don't you like a draw? Yeah, yeah straight away they killed him. I said, we stop your blackguard. Yeah, we're gassed yeah. over that stage. Yeah, as well. just, that was it. Yeah, I seen uh, tagged on the Twitter a good few years ago. I know at this stage it's uh, there was a feud. It could have been one in Northside of Cork, or it could have been somewhere else. And this guy tagged you, and it says. John, uh, you should get John in. They they want to listen to settled people, and your response was funny. Well, and he says, "I tell you what," he says, "Seeing as you're a settled man, why don't you go in the media between the the Kinnahans and the Hutches all together? <laughs> it's just because I'm a traveller, right? Yeah. Supposed to go in yeah. and fix that. Why don't you fix that?" And John is not better to do either, by the way. Like John hasn't got his own old career going. Or, you know what I mean? Like, it's gastic. I remember one thing. You do get fucking. Actually, I'm gonna tell a story. My friend Teddy's there. Yeah, boys, this is a funny one, right? So this famous talking me on Facebook, big. Fan, love, hate, fan, Carver Gangs fan, all that. He's talking, but I ain't trying to be nice to fans always, right? Yeah, Genuine, yeah, unless. Yeah, or No, he's talking to me in a good way, like he yeah. was a bit just a bit weird, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, like, unless a fiend is an ignorant to me, I'll give them all the time. Yeah, uh, yeah. And anybody. There was one fan actually one time uh, said to me, uh, rugby, rugby top, he was wearing, so that'll tell you where he was from. Yeah. I'm getting a selfie with you. I said, Sorry, you want to remember that, Ted? And Lily's. Lily Bordellos, I'm getting a selfie with you. I said, you're getting, you're getting, you mean you want a selfie? Uh, no, I'm getting a selfie with you. Entitled, like. I said, I'll tell you what you're getting. I said, I'm going to take your shoulder from your chest if you don't go out that door now. Oh my God. So that's the kind of thing, that's the only yeah. thing I turned down a selfie in my whole life. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but the stalker fan, right? He was on to me. He's a big fan. My son's a big fan, all this, blah, blah. I said, oh, nice one, mate. Yeah, blah. I'd love to meet you. Like, I'd love to. Come on, like, I can't meet every fucking fan that I've got there. I said, where do you live? I said, nah, 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 none of that. Could you send me your address? Remember, Daddy? Right? So I said, listen, I'm drawing a line up to this. You're not getting me a dress, right? I'm not going to fucking meet you. Unless... Unless I happen to fucking meet you, right? And me and Teddy's in my little house in Dark. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Arndale, right? My mother's house in Arndale. And we're on, the, we're on the couches together. And we're just smoking rollies, drinking tea, saying this thing is gas, right? So anyway, the next night then, I look, I just signed into my me, me fucking me, me messenger. 
and there's a million and one texts of him, right? He obviously had to get gargled and got a bit of pluck and start getting bowled, you know? And it was just slayed me, right? And the funniest one ever, remember I said, the funniest one ever, he said, John, if it wasn't for Love Hades, you'd still be fighting in car parks. <laughs> I said to Teddy, Teddy, read that. I swear. But what happened then was, I got back to him and I said, 100%, right? <laughs> so then he went, no, that wasn't me. You know, he was a guy, he got afraid then, like, or he was sorry, because ah. obviously he was drunk, like. So you, you meet randomers like that. Did you have to laugh at the insults? We, ah, I, lo- I love laughing against that. I the last time, I was laughing, oh, but there, there was a, an inspirational, there was a picture of Timmy and there was an inspirational quote, you know, and it was like, well done, love the tonaries, then you might count the, the two gomies. Fantastic subtitles, yeah, yeah, yeah. The two gomies. Boys, but, but Twitter is the, Twitter's a hell of a hole, so bad, I, I don't expect anything positive to happen know, on Twitter. I know. Yeah. Instagram is a different story. It is. Though. It's different and it's negative in another way because it's kind of more na- narcissistic. Whereas Twitter's sure negative. But, but I mean, I just drop in and out of it, so it suits me. Are you on Twitter now? No, I, I like uh, that Roderick Gorman yeah, whole see. fiasco. I said, Twitter will never see me ever again, yeah. ever again. Uh, I got out of it, and yeah, I'm never going to go back on Twitter. It'll never ever see me again. Yeah. I'm happy enough on Instagram. Yeah, but the yeah. office is more, more, and, and that's that's a good decision. Yeah. It's a bit of a crack, it's a bit of a crack at it as well. Like, yeah. in the gas, but it's back gas, but because you see, go me, fiend, yours, and all yeah. that. You know, that's traveler language. I know that, yeah. isn't it mad? Yeah. The way Cork and Limerick does that, yeah. I, I find yeah. that fascinating. We grew up at that time, I know, yeah. but gee, to me, would be like travelers. Yeah, that's the word, that's the talk we grew up in the the Spring Lane is in Blackpool. I know Spring Lane, so yeah. There's loads, and then yeah. there's travellers living in houses all yeah. over. So the language just gets into gas, isn't it? People yeah. say, yeah. like, oh, that's uh, Limerick slang, Cork slang. It's not Cork yeah. slang at all. It's yeah. actually travel up. Yeah, yeah. Gammon, exactly. Yeah, it's language, gas. You know? But, like, when I go down to places like Cork and Limerick, and you like, working class place in Cork and Limerick, I couldn't tell the difference between the traveller and the settler person. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. Because, you know, like, people don't even understand there's so many different branches of travellers. Yeah. Like every family's different. Yeah. Every family has a different accent. But the gas, there's, there's some settled people then trying to be travellers. Yeah, know? oh, does that? That's a big thing now. Yeah, that's, that's the big thing. Yeah. But where, where I'm from, like uh, in uh, in Kulak, there was sort of the wards, which is basically my people, my mother's people, and uh, you have McDonough's, you have Collins's, um, you have Mongans, Martins, uh, you have Purcells. Um, Joyce's everybody's a different accent like mm. every family is a different accent within a mile radius of each other people yeah. wouldn't understand that like yeah. it's mad like it's like the Collins would be where I where I grew up and I grew up with Collins would be almost they actually would be far out with aces, like all travellers are incest the best sex and all that but uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> they would be very close to me we grew up in the box clubs together lovely people but their accent would be very different to mine and we live next door to each other do you ever visit TVG in Cork? Traveller Visibility Group. No. Traveller Project in Blackpool. I could have, I've done a lot of things like that down in Cork. Yeah. I never remember yeah. an organisation to be. Big organisation. Yeah, family, yeah. Yeah. family yeah. up in the water, yeah. right? and there's these three or four women, mm-hmm. and there's all the clans in the north side, yeah. all the clans in Cork City are from these two or three women, you know? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. McCarthy's. Jesus. Yeah. The McCarthy's, yeah. Well, I'd more McCarthy in me than anything else because my grandmother was McCarthy both sides, yeah. and then my grandfather, her husband, was half McCarthy. Yeah. So, and like, yeah, more McCarthy than anything else. Do you know when you're growing up in uh, in Downdale, what's the relationship be, like between the settled community and the travelling community? It's that, so say I grew up in Kulak, if for some reason it was worse than Belcamp, which is right next to Darndale, which is in Kulak. We'd have, but good, it was good as well, like, you know, but in Darndale, very little discrimination, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Very little. Because you have to remember the, the most little it can be, basically, yeah. you know. Um, you have to remember 
they're stigmatized themselves. Yeah. yeah. And they're like Kulak is stigmatized. Now, Darndale is an area, is a council say within Kulak that Kulak people don't even want to be associated with that. It's a different level. It's like the worst address you could probably have in Dublin is Darndale. Like, yeah. like, I mean, the worst to get a job. It is that, isn't it? Like, so the Darndale aliens, that's what the Darndalian aliens, that's what they're called. You know what I mean? That's what I am one of them myself. Like, okay. but so I've been Darndale, Darndale traveler, never had a shot. But, uh, <laughs> but so the, we, we fucking, Darndale had such a great community. And like, my boxer trainer lived in Darndale. That's where he lived as well. Like, he was a community leader. And we just got along. Grand, like I'd, I'll settle friends, and you know, of course, all the bureaus are settled in Darndale, and you know, which was handy. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, like we've very little discrimination there. You're stigmatized because and discriminated against because of the, your address, mm. they're putting on a CV for applications. Mm. So at Darndale, but then coming from the site within Darndale is another mm. added discrimination. Absolutely. But yeah. you know, when you're growing up, do you feel like that your prospects in life are not there for you? Oh, yeah. Uh, man, so listen, I don't even know how, like, I know how it all happened for me. Not that I'm in Hollywood or anything like that, but where to where I am, like, it's it's bad thing to say, like, my mother would have encouraged us so much, but I know she would have been happy enough that we just grow up, we're not criminals and we're not addicted to drugs. Like, that is amazing. That's, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But she'd encourage anything beyond that and yeah. would believe in you. Yeah, that's a bonus. Like, yeah. yeah. So, like, I'm looking now and go, like, I still go, what's, what's going on? Like, well, how did life get me here? How am I making films? How am I? Like, how, I just, did, how did films start? How yeah. did it all come together? Yeah. Uh, fucking did, a, did an acting class. Yeah. Just serendipity, boys, to be honest. Like, uh, there's a plan out there for all of yeah. us. And I think if you tune into that frequency, you'll, you'll, you'll see the plan. That's that. basically it. Yeah. And uh, my brother Joe, when I decided to kill myself, my brother Joe knocked on my door yeah. and said, are you going to kill yourself? What's that? And I says, no, but I gave him an indication I was because I didn't want to say it, but I wanted to talk about it because I was desperate because I was in pain and all that. And he says, he said to me, please don't because we can't afford to bury you. <laughs> <laughs> was he serious, John? He was serious as well and joking. Oh, yeah. He genuinely, because the shame of not being able to bury my old brother that's actually a serious thing. But he made it into, he masqueraded into a nice joke. And he said, look, man, you need to do something. You need to find something else. Like, uh, you, what age were you, John? I was 20, 20. I wondered, did he have any uh, was, was training it? around suicide awareness? Oh, no. the right question. Just, I mean, it's ask, it's like, the number one question to ask them. Are you going to do it? Have yeah. you plan? Yeah, because because it, it erupts in front of you. One yeah. way or another, you'll find out. You can gauge from their body language yeah. at minimum, which is what he did. My brother Joe has just been... Always very, very intelligent and in tune. The character was really yeah, 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 yeah. Just yeah. me two brothers. To be honest with you, we were all f genetically blessed. Yeah. And me mother says it's now to be daddy. Like she always said, well, none of my business. They got the brains and their daddy. And we had we and also lads. When you grow up around danger, you're always looking for danger. Yeah. Your your senses get very sharp. It's problem solving, isn't it? You see a problem, you're trying to fix it, and you don't even know you're trying to do it as a kid. But it, later in life, yeah. they become your sharp fucking tools. Yeah. And now we can see them coming a mile away now. Like, um, but he said that to me, and then he said, "Look, Joe, John, you know, boxing didn't work out. You didn't want to go back. Blah blah blah. You're at the game all this way. Why did you try acting? Now he didn't just say that and pull that out of his arse. It's because I uh, was obsessed with films as a child. Like, and like the previous two years, I just spent watching films after I gave up what I was doing the nasty stuff and all I did was only left the house to go to collect me doll buy DVDs or go to the cinema that was it so he said why didn't you try acting and I I, I just saw a life jacket that was it and I said yeah and rang up an acting class and 
the Bureau said to me on the other end of the phone, Kathleen Warner Yates, great acting teacher, mentor as well from America. She said, uh, when did you try acting for fun, uh, this course we have? And I knew that's, that's wrong for me. I said, I need something more intense. She said, there's a scene study course and uh, you're going to be uh, out of your depth and it like really, so maybe that's not the best. I said, I'll do that. And uh, <laughs> I said, how much is it? 290 euro. They get 100 euro in my dole. Got the rest happy brother Joe from his dole. And um, got the re- and then my mother, I got five quid for the bus in and out of town. And I uh, went into the class and was uh, intimidated straight away and decided to leave the class. But an improvisation happened. And uh, that kind of, I was just kind of curious watching it unfold. Like, and this Brazilian man, uh, this black Brazilian man was in a scene with like an upper class Dublin fella. And the upper class Dublin fella dictated the scene. And that's the way it was set up. So he became the, the, the customer who was going to buy off the shopkeeper. And it could be any kind of variation of that. Yeah. So he went in and he decided like it was a health food store and he was looking for vanilla protein and whatever, you know. And, uh, but he ended up re- being really patronizing towards a Brazilian man. Like, <clears throat> and um, I thought it was racist, to be honest. He was making a laugh of his kind of accent and language. And so I just felt a bit of solidarity with yeah. the Brazilian man and I got enraged and depression and anger is like Sammy Swin. So I, uh, I, st- I volunteered because the Dublin fella then became the shopkeeper and they were looking for a new customer to dictate the scene. So I walked out of the class and uh, it's because I'm getting nervous now because I remember being so nervous. Um, but what happened was I I knew I was go- I could belt now and, and they'd never get me and I'd walk away and I'd be really comfortable. But I was so fucking angry that I ran, I busted through that door and I basically imagined there was a bank and I went in and robbed the bank and robbed him and I slapped the face of him and I took the charge of him and his shoes and socks and, and the teacher ran in and roared like, John, stop, please stop. <laughs> the living Jesus. So I ran out of class and she ran after me like, and I ran the whole way down Abbey Street and she was like, please come back. I said, please don't ring the shades. And she was like, please stop, John, stop. Like, and I went, okay, I said, what is it? She said, don't ever fucking do that again. And I said, okay. Said, but I like that. That was good. I said, "Oh shit!" There's potential there. Yeah, yeah. Like. He said, "Let's see what else you can do. You can do raids like I've never seen. <laughs> Let's see if you can do the other stuff." So she gave me like a a vulnerable character to play about ten weeks later on a play on a thing. But I had the lines learned from it twelve hours later by not. I never slept, and I just learned the lines for this ten minute ten minute scene, which normally take you two weeks to learn. I learned it. I just le- I just learned it over and over the whole night. Googling on the internet and all, all the tips and all the shit. And uh, came back the next week, no, knew me lines inside out, most prepared man in the class. And then I was like, okay, here's a new obsession. And then the universe, the universe took over then. Mm. Because, I mean, my goal was, I was like 20 that time. I said, if, if, I, got, if I got an old short film, the acting by the time I was 25 or something, you know, that'd be great. Like, uh, within six months, I got the lead in the feature film. What was the name of that again? King of the Travellers. King of the Travellers, I've seen that, John. So my, my childhood buddy, John Collins, uh, who's still a good friend of mine, and all his family, love all that family, he was the lead in the film originally, and then I got a, I rehearsed for it and got a bit of a small part, and then uh, I was rehearsing for months because we were all like kind of non-actors, so we were rehearsing for months like a play, like, and um, they ended up sacking him, and he turned around and said, I better, you better be giving it to John Collins. And he went, yeah, actually we are. It's a fair play to old John. And he could think of it to me. And I was like, the lead role in a fucking million-year budget film, it was like, smart. Yeah. 
just mad. Like, you're going, what the fuck? And uh, I had no right being the lead in it, to be honest. Like, looking back in that, like, I learned a lot, but it's like, I couldn't watch that film. Like, what's the Travellers at White House? Was it, what's the Travellers? Morehouse. 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 The Morehouses and the Powers. Is, and listen, it ended up causing a bit of feud between the Morehouses and the Powers in Wicklow or something. <laughs> they ended up killing each other. You dirty boss, you Morehouse, you boss. Of course, I got life imitating art and art imitating life and all that. Um, and then I was on set with that and me and Mark O'Connor, the director that uh, talked about, I was talking about a play I was writing about my father and about schizophrenia and mental health. And then he knew a fellow who was a stalker and blah, blah, blah. A fellow who was a kind of a, a cinema buff stalker that he knew in Ranelagh in a place in Dublin. And we combined both stories and made a film called The Stalker, which did brilliant critically. And actually went to the same festival that year as King of the Travellers and won an award ahead of King of the Travellers and it was only a 15 grand budget compared to what me. You know, it's kind of a mad, crazy film. And then Love, Hate and... That was, so you, you got a huge, you got a big role in you know, something that was like an Irish cultural phenomenon. At yeah. Love, Hate. Yeah. How did it come about? What was it like being cast into that... Like the, that fame. Well, it's weird because I did Love Hate before King of the Travellers ended them because <clears throat> the cast and director came to the Arnold Box Club and said, We're looking for tough looking fellas uh, to be uh, extras. And uh, Jerry, me trainer, actually said, Oh, John is there. Uh, John's doing acting. He does the old classes and all that. John, come over here. And I says, uh, I said, nah, I have no interest in being an extra. Like They said, well, look, there's a couple of special extra roles and there's a few lines. Can't guarantee them, but if you show up in the day, fight for them. You know what I mean? I said, okay, no problem. So I showed up and um, it was the pipe bombing thing where Nids is buying a pipe bomb off me, but I, I didn't know if I was getting that character or whatever. I was going to be standing around. But it was me and this fellow, i never forget a fellow, a red-haired fellow from Kilmore in Dublin, two of us together. And Caffo, the director of Love Hate, who's now went on to be a huge director, uh, he came over to start. Well, lads, how are you doing? How are you doing? What's up? What tell me? And I was like, ah, oh, blah blah. Born in London, London. Yeah, I'm living in London twenty years and blah blah. And I said, whereabouts? Oh, the Caledonia Road. I said, I lived there. I, he said there was a pub there. I said, yeah, my father was a drink there. I used to drink with travellers there. I probably drank with your father. What year? I said, 89, 90. Yeah. And I was like, connecting. He said, do you want these lines? And I went straight away. Yeah, I want these lines. But what I didn't know was, uh, I kind of had, I didn't really know the the efficacy around it all and the way you behave. Because I looked at the lines and I went, yeah, they're, they're not, and I don't want to, because the writer and me are good friends. But, but these particular lines didn't work for me. You needed your own. Yeah. Words. I said, look, I'm from the hood. I'm from the Arendelle Traveller. I know this world inside out. He's not going to say that. And the director said, oh, well, what would he say then? I said, blah, 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 blah. And whatever I said, whatever it is, put a pop on or whatever, that was part of it. Um, what happened was I did the scene with, with Nidge and uh, and I did King of the Traveller talking and at, at, after the premiere of one of them in Galway, Stuart Carlin, the writer, come up to me and he said, he said, John, I'm the writer of Love Hate. And I went, yeah. He said, you know, he said, he said, uh, you improvise some lines on the set. He said, playing that pipe bomb uh, character, the special extra character. I said, yeah. He said, you haunted my dreams, you bastards. Yeah, he said, because the improv is so good. And I went, okay. He said, would you like to come back? Let's find a way of making it back. Now, the pair is so obvious now. Obviously, I gave the bomb to Nades that blew up Linda's house in France. But like, when the plot is not there, you don't know. So he didn't know what way to bring me back. And then he just decided, okay. You created it all around just all. Yeah. Created it all around me for season four. And it was in three episodes. And I was fucking over the moon. Over the moon. And then in season five, my character left, went to England. And then I met him and he just said, look, Tom, your character is no real hinterland or whatever. We just showed your character. Do you want to come back? And if so, do you want to do a small or big? I said, what do you fucking think? Mm. All the way, is it? So he 
worked with me for about six weeks and we, me and him just became really good friends but sound cunt and did his due diligence and did it right and uh, and then the result is some of the best riding I was ever confronted with you know? what was it like becoming so famous with the Jaff tie was it a big adjustment sorry not think about it too much or? no it was weird was it? weird like you have to understand as well man like I grew up getting a lot of hate <laughs> and then a lot of fucking discrimination and then all of a sudden all these guns are over and they're, and they're wanting this and that and you go and then I'm like I have the chip on my shoulder who you fuck you where are you coming with where, you, where are you yeah. then you know what I mean like and then you're still treating my people like this but you come over to me as alright because I'm a famous traveller and it was all that shite which was me yeah. do you know what I mean like I should have just went smile do yeah. a, have a smile like Oak and shut the fuck up yeah. you know what I mean <laughs> but uh, you don't know that you have to learn it yourself yeah. and if someone tells you that it doesn't work anyway yeah. you have to go through the process but how would, the weird one was I went to the UB40 concert I love UB40 yeah, and uh, went to them in the Olympia and uh, goes to the side side entrance and there's a security guard there was an old boxer man of mine Michael Parker great boxer southpaw and he said Sean oh, what's up man and the night before I think it was or the week before the episode with me saying take it back with you and use it to buy yourself a headstone when it went, became one of the first kind of memes in Irish social media and it went viral you know and uh, so I didn't really realise because I was only walking around my own area for a week there and I lived with it ah Jono whatever so I was in the town for the first time then since then and he said Jono bad idea he clocked us right away he said he said, don't don't walk through there like I said what what are you talking about he says you're going to be a mob man I said, Quay, man, I'm going to be fucking mad. What are you talking about? About 500 people, <laughs> about 500 people between him and the door, and I got mobbed. And when I got mobbed, when I'm in mobbed, right, I got harassed, and my t shirt was ripped off me. Oh, Women ripping my t shirt off, scraping me like it was a fucking beetle, and the state of me, I'm no oil paint. Like, women now and this one's not even a joke lads it's just getting dark yeah. women grabbed me by the balls fuck off sexually assault me man <laughs> and you loved it yeah maybe I did <laughs> but I like some of them maybe um, but so anyway the security have to come out and the security have to get all around me to bring me to my seat so they bring me to the seat but then they get mobbed in my seat and he said oh Jesus you're a distraction to the so then we have to give you a VIP brought me down to VIP I got mobbed in VIP but that was right in front of the trades and Ali Campbell literally was going like that to get do something with me uh, because I was such a, because it was right in front of the stage of the VIP so he would they were the performers on the stage were fucking distracted so they had to put me into a boot and I was like what the fuck is this uh, it was crazy and not good at oh all man. not good at all how did you feel John? oh overwhelmed man yeah. overwhelmed like now then that night I went out, I went straight to a nightclub and I got straight in the door which was a refreshing feeling because yeah. every nightclub I ever I probably got refused from every nightclub I've ever got, went to before that in town yeah. like I remember me me my uncle a ironical name brother who's one of my best old friends as well and the funniest man you ever met in your life your uncle his name is brother yeah don't really want him to get it but, uh, <laughs> but uh, his name is brother but uh, it's because he was the first brother to come along in the family like 20 year line you oh, know? Uh, so so yeah so me and him went and we counted we counted we went to 35 pubs and clubs and got turned down by all of them in one night like this is before it was famous <laughs> and then two three months later then I can get into any nightclub in, yeah, uh, in town country, yeah. and then you're going I'm annoyed by that as well, like. Uh, yeah. Then they give you the VIP and the free fucking champers. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have, like, have that, <laughs> that status and that fame. It's terrible, isn't it? But everything is status. Like, if you look at, if you think back in fucking caveman times, it was all status. Women didn't want the little weakling in the corner, the little beta male who was collecting <laughs> leaves. Nah. They wanted the fucking Adonis over there who was killing animals. I know. It's, it's all status. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I do hate when people um, treat people different over status. Mm. That I think is fucking horrible. 
you know, it's I think that's horrible. Like mm. to do it now. It happens with in between genders in a different way. But I mean, when people do that in general, like they give this fella the time of day because he has X, Y, and Z, but not this. And I see it a lot with, with travellers along with money and that. You know what I mean? I think it's a horrible denigrating thing to do to people. Like, um, I think just treat people fucking as they fucking come. Like, you know what I mean? I think it's the only way. Yeah, and that doesn't matter whether they're sitting in the streets. Yep. Inside in a hospital, you know, up inside in the prison or whatever it may be. It's... You know, if you treat people with respect, yeah. it changes their perspe- perception of, of, of the reality of life. I was well. only over in Richmond in England, which is in London, which is like the poshest part of London, Richmond. It's beside Twickenham. And I was in a, a hotel that was like a thousand sterling a night overlooking the Thames. I didn't pay for it. It was a company I was working for and doing a big TV show for Netflix. Can't say what it is though, but a big gangster show. For Netflix, global, and I was down, and I was having an old fag on the bench overlooking the table, a lovely old view, and an old fiend came down, and he was mildly drunk, and rough, rough fiend now, a rough looking old fiend, and when he was walking down, he was like Moses parting the fucking sea. All the people were just running for this fiend, and when he came just even near the benches, they all ran off the benches, and I just seen it happening like in real time, and I just felt overwhelmingly fucking emotional for this fiend, you know. And I go, Imagine everywhere you go, people are just running away from you, like like he's a pariah. And he said to me, all right, mate, have you got a smoke? And I went, 100%. I said, sit down there. And uh, I gave him fucking a packet of fags. I had three packets of fags. I gave him a packet of fags and I gave him a lighter. And uh, I said, tell me your story, man. Oh, actually, my grandfather was Irish and he was in the IRA and all. And I said, no way, man. Are you serious? <laughs> We're going up the rash yet and whatever, you know. These fucking cunts, they don't fucking know, you know what I mean? He's playing, he's playing me as well, but I get it, you know what I mean? And then he says, Yeah, you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) What do you say? He offers me, he offers me a a Suffy's wine. I said, I won't bother, man. I won't have him. But I had about an hour long conversation. I've had the best crack of him of all time, like, and I gave him an old tenor and all his way. And there's just a lovely fucking interaction. Lovely. There was total humanity, and he got into his trauma. I wouldn't even go into all that stuff, but he had a terrible old trauma. Like, yeah. What's happening in your life to leave you today? Man, sure. He's just the result of all his experiences. That's all it fucking is. And you know what? The, the result of them experiences are just still down here. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's where the and he repressed. Is, is, he repressed it all. Still he can't express it. No. So he's expressing it through. He's expressing it through fucking, through self-destructive behaviour. Yeah. That's fucking what it is. I've done it myself a million fucking times. Press that button. It's about time now. Yeah. Like I do it every ten years. Every ten years I do the, the self-destruction thing probably. But do you think this? Do you know all those people that were sitting on those benches, um, that ran away from him. Do you think if he was able to stand up in front of all those people and give his story of where he came from, that they'd have that little bit of compassion and empathy for him and they'd, they'd probably sit but there. But it does the bridge of how he gets there, as in, if they're going to sit to yes, listen. That is, that, it is about the bridge. I think most people and, would because most people are not psychopaths. And, and, that's, and, that's what, and that's what we're doing here. This is what this platform is about. That's what it's about. This is what it is. It's, it's about getting the, those stories out there. And this is why I love this platform, and I think you two are the, some of the most important people in this space, that's genuinely, uh, and you're the most unique for this kind of platform. And what I love about you bringing this thing all around, what, bringing it back around to what we're saying, you don't go for status. Mm. Your guests are not about status oh. at all. That is, you, that is your fucking selling point, is that you're fucking authentic. Mm. And see, authenticity is one thing I've learned in life. If you're fucking authentic, shit happens for you. If you can remain authentic and keep your fucking morals and and, and live by your code, 
good things fucking happen. Authenticity, authenticity breeds. We can smell it off people, and that's what that's why you've been successful at. Yeah. You're totally authentic. Yeah, but I think it helps that we've no media background. Yeah, or training or anything like that. So that would ruin it. Yeah, training. You'd, you'd have these like bullet point questions and all. Yeah. Like, It'd be fucking sleep. <laughs> over here. Right, so I'd say, please kill me. Like. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> But instead you're able to tease things out of people, lads, and you feel comfortable. And I've watched a lot of your episodes, right? And I can I just know, right, because I've went through it all myself and I've went through things like I've been a support worker even for five years and did lots of workshops and whatever. And I know how fucking smart you are and how you you can sit back, listen, be relaxed, create an atmosphere, you don't jump on the guest, you live things relaxed, and then people open up and it's why you've blown up. Yeah. It's because people open up. And then we get a we get a look into their soul, yeah. and that's fucking gold. And it's because you're so fucking emotionally mature. Mm-hmm. You've went to hell and back, and you come out the fucking other side. Like that's fucking beautiful, lads. You lose your ego when you're yeah. Like. But do you have you now? That's interesting actually because we haven't wanted through addiction and everything and into recovery and whatever. This coming along and your kind of, your stars now, lads, and especially in Cork, has has the ego sneaked up a bit? Has the ego sneaked up a bit though? Yeah. Oh, even when somebody yeah. says something like that, I feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, uh, and that's my stuff. Yeah. Do you know, it's just that I still go to work and I work with my hands. Yeah. Do you know, I go home at the end of the day. I, 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 I do whatever my wife needs me to do. Yeah. I do the podcast. I fucking do my invoices. I answer my emails. I do our talks we have to do. I don't look as as myself being any different to who I was before any better how, any how, when did you set this up two three years ago three years tomorrow this month 2020 so and, 20, and how long are both you in recovery I'm tw- 12 years 12 years It'll be 10 years next month 12 years 10 years so what if nine years ago could you have done this absolutely not why because I wasn't it, it yeah. takes a lot of personal development yeah. and self acceptance to stand on camera and not try to be something that you aren't Stop yeah. accepting yourself. You don't have to try and be tough. Uh, you don't yeah. have to be trying to be this. Yeah. You are who you are. Uh, accept yourself. Just and you know, when you get to that space, then you can be authentic. Fuck. And you can yeah. leave yourself vulnerable. And so what if you get emotional? And so what if you're afraid sometimes? Everybody else is. They just mask it. But you just have a little bit of self-acceptance. Two years of therapy. That's ongoing as well. We never got a certificate to say, go on about your business, you're recovered. It's an ongoing thing. And you know, we've had difficult times, myself and Timmy, in the last three years, personal lives and stuff like that. But like, this is a passion. Mm-hmm. And it's not like, fuck's sake, I have to do a podcast. It's like, yes, who's the podcast? What's the topic? What's the guest? Then when we go into the prisons and stuff yeah. like that, and we met a fellow, I give this story, we met a fellow and we feel there last month. And he was in the basement in Mount Joy. And he was uh, self-harming. He was after, the, I won't give too much details, but yeah. he badly self-harming in a bad way. And he's linked him with a lot of services, right? And uh, nothing was working for him. And he started to, to play the podcast at Mount Joy. And uh, in the padded cell, he started, he started it. watching it. Yeah. And he identified with me, Timmy, and some of the stories of the guests. And uh, things started, you know, he started to identify and see like, fucking maybe I'm not fucking mad. Look, I can identify with him and he's doing he. I know he's in another prison out of the basement. He's not self-harming. Mm. He's engaged with psychology, going to the school. And when we met him, he was so thankful for the podcast. Jesus. It gave him a little bit of hope. That turned him around, do you know what I mean? So, like... That's real evidence of, of doing good, man. You don't give a shit about rewards or no. money or you know, ratings or anything like that. That's real people's yeah. lives that's been helped by conversations like this. Do you know this is terrible? 
these few mics here and a few cameras. This is why I do it. I do it for no other reason. I often say to him, like, I just want to be doing the podcast. That's it. I love doing the podcast. We have to do other stuff to be able to keep everything, keep corporate. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's good, like, listen, it's good to be able to give back as well and, and do whatever you can. But it's just what I get from this on a personal level. They'd be sitting across here now and you opening your soul to me and, and the other few guests that we had here today. It's the most powerful thing for someone to give you that bit of trust and to be able to share their experience with you. Yeah. You don't, you can't get it anywhere else. Yeah. And I can see here straight away sitting across from whoever's here and it never happens and I'm going to be very honest. We never have a guest here that's here for the wrong reasons. Like no. Never. Everybody's vested. Never. Like, yeah, of course. If, um, if it's not, they're not a genuine and authentic, people are just going to say, the boys yeah. have to sell it Because, yeah, exactly. Because when you feel it, you see it, I, 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 you lose, you, you're lost. I can't, I, I can't, because I can't feel you then. You yeah. know, and it's, it's beautiful, it's beautiful to be able to listen to someone's story. Listen to your story yeah. there, John. Like the emotion, and I can mm. relate to a lot of stuff. And sometimes sure. when I'm kind of emotional, I keep, I stay a bit quiet. Yeah. Because... I know it's just it's the way I am. You're affected by it. Yeah, to feel it, like because I can, f I, I, I understand, I understand your upbringing. Of course, totally. Kind of Similar background, yeah. Traveller. Yeah, but I come from a background. But as I said, I can't tell the difference between you anyway. Yeah. 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 The gummy vein and all the door. I go, what? It's not like, It's it's an amazing thing to be some yeah. a part of. Like it's it's, yeah. it's it's absolutely amazing. The last time we spoke, it was a funny Mount Joy story. Oh yeah, which one did I tell? Actually, was about the about the fame. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do I do, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I, I <laughs> so I, I go in and visit the prisons, and I, first of all, these for ask me to go and do chats and all that. Right? That's boring the shit out of people. But I, I went in to do a chat one day, and um, I, I, I felt the room, and I felt they were all interested in acting so much, like they wanted to actually act. I just went to the bureau, the psychotherapist. I said, like, can I just do a fucking workshop with them? Like, and she says, yeah, go on ahead. So I got them all around, and my my old mate Clinchy, who's who died last year, last May, right? Yeah, so, May, rest in peace. Uh, it's he's one year anniversary now this month. Uh, uh, he was an old legend. Um, but anyway, he was in the he was in the room when we were doing the workshop, and uh, he's a great actor. And were, I said it in his funeral, Clinchy never acted a day in his life. He was totally authentic. You know what I mean? Like he didn't act. Um, but uh, he was there, and he was he was giving me the sister room and whatever, and. Start doing things, and I put him in a scene with another fan who I didn't know. I didn't know who he was, and mm. um, I was slagging everybody in the room because you know, they were all expecting me to be a wimp. I was coming slagging because I knew they'd like to crack. Yeah. But whenever I slagged this fiend, there was no laughs. But I slagged everybody else to laugh, and I had them eating out of the palm of my hand because I'm performing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Slag him, no laughs. I was a bit of you and who's this fiend? That's so anyway. He did a scene with Clinchy, and he's a better actor than Clinchy in the fucking scene, right? I said, ha, ha. I said, come out to me, you, was this? Me real cheeky with this fan, right? Yeah. I said, come out to me, you. I said, who are you in the name of God? I said, do you ever act before? No, not technically, but kind of. And I went, okay, I'm getting the hints now. Right, grand. Psychotherapist gives me a nod. I said, all right, no bother. <laughs> ends the class, ends the oak, lets the man away. Psychotherapist goes over to me, do you know what that is? So anyway, I goes back in the screen, because I, I I met at me business, I got on them, I said, I want to screen carbon access in Mount Chai Prison. That's what I want to do with, like the Johnny Cash thing. Do you know what I mean? Like I wanted to do that and give the lads fucking something and have a chat with all the boys, you know what I mean? And they all know the world. And also a little bit of me wants to do a little stamp of approval as well, like, you know what I mean? Like, because yes. the lads fucking know and I came up in the world, but they know more than me. Yeah. So uh, I sit down in the front row and your man, 
the same fella comes in and uh, he says, right, lads, shut the fuck up now in this film's on, right? This film is the most authentic betrayal of Dublin gangland culture ever. <laughs> I saw it already on the telly. It's fucking amazing. All right, so sure up and don't be slagging, blah, blah, blah. And he sat down beside me. All right, John. Right, we were like best friends at this stage, right? <laughs> <laughs> I said, all right. And he was, I tell you how, he, he did a, like an acute awareness because he knew something was wrong with me. I don't know if I told you the rest of this, but... So that morning, my brother had, had been put on fucking remand and he was arguing with fiends that were in there, they were bowel fiends, and I was going, with the next phone call is my brother going to be cut up or something, you know what I mean? I couldn't be anxiety, but I couldn't cancel on the fucking boys either, you know? He said, you all right? I said, yeah, no, I'm all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, not all right. He was just like a fucking psychologist this way, right? Mm. I said, ah, well, that's a, me. My brother, he's, uh, he's had to get him put on remand in, uh, in Wheatfield. Oh, yeah? You worried? I said, yeah, I am a bit, to be honest. I am a bit worried, yeah. I said, because X, Y, and Z. All right, don't need to worry about that. That's grand. I said, what do you mean? That's grand. I'm worried somebody over there. And he comes over here, look after them. I said, all right, nice one. So, so the film goes on, and the screening's going amazing. Now, I screened that film all across the world, all different continents, right? The scene where I punched through the wall, which was a scene that was improvised. It just happened in a moment. It was my real house. Um, every time that's on, it's pure silence, right? The audience always go dead quiet, dead quiet. When it went on in the prison, they busted out laughing. One or two busted out laughing and they brought the rest of them to laugh. And I went, but the living house, that's a strange, yeah. that's a strange fucking reaction to that, like. And then I talked to the psychotherapist afterwards. So I said, so don't that reaction, I said, blah, 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 this never happened. Like, why did I get that reaction? Like, and she said, well, there was at least 10 murderers in the audience. And that scene was about me being guilty over the murder. And it caused a tension that made them laugh and then created a kind of ricochet. Exactly. So I found that fucking interesting. interesting Very interesting, yeah. Um, but that was Mount Joy, like. Yeah. But do, let me just go back to even, I don't know how far we are here. I don't know. Yeah. Just one minute, two or three minutes. Yeah, I just want to pick up what you said. That's perfect. Uh, acceptance, man. Yeah. Like accepting yourself. Fuck me, it's hard. But when yeah. you do it, you're free. You will. Mm-hmm. And forgiving yourself. Mm. That's the thing that I found very hard in life. And I know I'm not a bad person, but still find it hard to forgive myself. Mm. And I think I'm getting there now, or getting to near there. Can I give you a small bit of advice? Yeah. Forgiveness. Yeah. You know, forgiveness is not something that you, you, you can be telling yourself, I'm going to forgive myself tomorrow, or I'm going to forgive myself because you feel like you're hurting yourself all the time and you think it's time to forgive yourself. Forgiveness is about when something comes up that you've done and you feel the need that you have to forgive yourself over. It's not about saying, I'm going to forgive myself here. It's about feeling whatever that thing is that you need to forgive about. right? And every morning, it's about forgiving that person that's done something to you. It's about forgiving yourself for the stuff that you're beating yourself up. You do it on a daily basis, but you don't say, I'm going to forgive myself. No. You allow yourself to feel whatever it is you need to feel around the forgiveness. And you accept, you said it there, accept, you can accept yourself then. You need to firstly be able to leave it up and then accept it. Mm. And acceptance isn't another word that we use. I'm going to accept it. It's about sitting still and just saying, this is how it is. I can't change my situation. There's nothing can be done. This is how it is. And feel whatever's going on for you. 
whatever thoughts are going on in your head, it's about accepting everything. Accepting the dog barking out the back, the rain pouring down and you want it to be sunny. Like, you have no control over what goes on in your head unless you have a, you want to tell yourself, I'm going to be a multimillionaire and keep saying that through aff aff affirmations. But if there's negative thinking going on in your head and you're feeling a lot of shame, I can tell you this, there's no one standing over you with a puppeteer telling you, giving you shit or putting all this bad stuff. This is stuff that's going on for you. It's there to be felt. It's there to be understood. And you know the fighter that's in you, John? When that fighter knows what fights to pick, okay? See, all that stuff, it won't be an issue anymore because you'll accept it. And for men, for us to accept stuff, we have to allow ourselves to be vulnerable. And for that stuff, for you to forgive, you have to allow yourself to be vulnerable. I have to allow me to be vulnerable. We all do. And it's one of the tough thing, toughest things for men like us that grow up in areas where there's a lot of violence. Allow yourself to be vulnerable. And if you allow yourself to be vulnerable, you think you're going to be attacked or someone's going to hurt yeah. you. And you, you can't look weak. Yeah. But it's the only way to freedom, vulnerability, acceptance. And forgiveness is, the, is it frees your soul. Totally. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, next No, time. that's good advice, man. I'm going to take that with me, Timmy. Oh, Thank you. Just, it, it's, you're so fucking right. It's how it happened to me. Yeah. I used to whip myself to death, John. Yeah. I had the worst, worst negative critical mind you could imagine. Like, I used to call myself some names. I was this, that, the other. You know, I felt like, I felt awful. I had no self-esteem, no confidence. I felt like I was a bad human being. And one day I just said, you know, do nothing about it and I sat there and I felt that pain in here and I this head up here that was calling me all these names you're this you're that and the other every form of thought and I just sat through it and I felt it you know and in time I started to use that as my tool to be able to accept myself and there was never a word around acceptance it's the word but it's the action of just being still and just being you know, no matter, no judgment on you or anything else going on in your life. Just be, just feel, just be, allow everything be as it is. And that's where you'll grow. And the vulnerability will come then. Because you'll catch yourself in situations where you would have been fought or not just people in your head. And you'll say, you know, I'll put myself back here on and I'm just going to feel it. I can sit in here on the chair, I can feel it on my hamstrings. I can feel my feet in the floor. Mm. I can feel my back vibrating. And I'm accepting it. You know, I feel it, you know, because I'm in the spotlight here, I feel it a little bit. You know, I'm in the spot and I just feel it. And everything that's coming out of my mouth, it's not recorded. It's not it's not pre-wrought or, or anything like that. It's stuff that's coming out of my mouth because it's through my own lived experience. And that's where the, f the freedom for me came. It's through a lot of work. It's, it's an understanding. And you're very smart. Smart personally, intelligently, emotionally intelligent. Don't accept yourself. Not because you need to, because you you you, you should be. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, you should be. Nobody should be judging themselves. Yeah. No fuck up. Exactly. Totally. Feel it, and I can feel the hunger. Yeah. We'll, we'll call it I'm with hunger as well. So what Travis says, start with the Corollias. You know that. <laughs> Did you know that word, Corollias? I never heard of it. Did you ever heard of Corollias? No. Wake with the Corollias. Did you ever hear eating the betas? 
No. Yeah, like a, a bagel, starving. Yeah. No, like endless pain. Yeah. That's what my right. And I don't know, I said, is that like a traveller version of diabetes you're talking about? <laughs> <laughs> or do you know Gaul Yun? What's the story with the knock down? <laughs> do, you know, do you know the different words? Yeah, yeah. I would have been we'll, wrap, we'll wrap it up before we yeah. go on again. Yeah. John, been a pleasure. Lads, thanks very much, lads. That was special. Thank you. Thank you, lads. And uh, we've up the file in your career. Yes. Yeah. We'll see everybody next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.